Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I could not be more excited for today's episode. Every once in a while, you come across a very, very special human, one that is full of profound wisdom and yet utterly humble. And today's guest is none other than Navin Pillay, and he falls squarely into that category. He is a dear friend, someone I met through another dear friend by the name of Sarinda Swan, and uh, I s- did a workshop with him in Ojai, um, and <clears throat> it was, you know, it's, it sounds cliche to say, but it was life-changing. And what was so profound about it was I went in thinking it was going to be oriented around uh, optimizing achievement. You know, my friend Sarinda had just booked uh, a television show with one of the, she's an actress with one of the biggest stars on the planet. And she said it happened right after she had done this workshop. And my uh, ambitious nature said, okay, I'll lock this in. Let's do it. And what I found was something utterly different, uh, an absolutely profound uh, inquiry into our essential nature. And really a discovery of what is most alive in me and my unique expression, which is in part uh, what I hope to do with this podcast, which is share with you the tools and the teachers that I've had the good fortune of encountering, some of whom I would say sort of almost slide between the cracks. Uh, They're not huge names, but they have huge wisdom. And I think that today's episode is is a case in point. Uh, Navin is an absolutely profoundly talented and a deeply humble uh, human, but one who exemplifies a profound degree of wisdom. And so it's with great excitement that I share with you this episode. It's, it's one of my favorites. I think the, the, the depth we go into uh, was, was something I felt really compelled by. Uh, I, it's the episode I've, I've listened to the most to continue to distill um, many of the insights that are shared. And it's my great uh, hope, and I, and I know it will be the case, that I get another chance to sit down with Navin. So I'm really looking forward to you listening to the episode. Please uh, comment. Please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube. Please share if it resonates. Uh, and please do leave us a review. I'm working hard to... Um, see that this content makes it out to as many people as possible. So your efforts are greatly, greatly appreciated. And um, we're about to jump into it, but before we do, this episode is presented to you by my good friends at Four Sigmatic. Um, Four Sigmatic is one of the brands I believe most wholeheartedly in. They are a a small but growing uh, brand that creates a variety of adaptogenic products using mushrooms. Um, Their coffee is infused with lion's maid, which is a a neuro-optimizing herb that's been used for for a very long time um, in different cultures around the world. I have had great effects with lion's mane. I use their focus shots um, in the afternoon, um, and I drink their coffee in the morning. And it's organic, it's about as uh, clean as possible, and it gives me that extra boost I need to stay focused throughout the day. So it's been a real gift to my life. Uh, When I decided to launch the podcast, I reached out to them, and they were gracious enough to offer our listeners uh, a discount, a nice discount. So if you go to foursigmatic.com backslash peak, you will be uh, discounted at checkout. Couldn't uh, be more excited about their products. I literally use them every day and excited for you to give them a try. This episode is also brought to you by Organifi. Their complete protein is my go-to protein post-workout. It's amazing. Uh, All organic ingredients, uh, pea protein, and it really helps me get through the day. So I incorporate Organifi with blueberries, which are uh, cognitive enhancing. I also use spinach and pre and probiotics, and it's my superfood smoothie to help get me through the day. I love uh, Organifi. I've been using it for years, 
and I find that it basically enables me to either replace a meal or if I need to recover post an intense workout, it's a great source for protein and I can knock it out in a couple minutes and, uh, and I'm back in the game. So check out Organifi, www.organifi.com and put Peak Mind at checkout for 20% off. And I'm super excited for you guys to check out these products. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Navin Pile. I'm here in uh, Ojai, California with uh, my new friend, Navin. Thank you for joining us, Navin. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. So I met, well, the reason I'm here, actually, is our mutual friend, Sarinda Swan, uh, said that there's a, there's a workshop you have to attend. And uh, I didn't actually know anything about it. All I knew was that she went from, uh, she said that she discovered her archetype mm-hmm. as a queen. And then within a few weeks, she booked a show with The Rock uh, called Ballers. And then she booked another show as The Queen on uh, a Marvel, a Marvel uh, television show on ABC. And I was like, wow, if you're achieving, my achieving nature was like, if you're, if you're achieving <laughs> like that, I've got to participate. So uh, it was the bait and switch because mm-hmm. it really wasn't about achievement, but Let's start off with, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more of, I know you started in aerospace engineering. Mm. How did you come from aerospace engineering to the work we're about to share? All right. It's a very interesting question, Michael. It uh, spans quite a long history, especially since I just turned 44 today. Yeah, happy birthday, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, brother. (laughs) Um, Actually, rather than I say... um, Rather than I speak on how did I come from what I was doing as an aerospace engineer to what I'm doing now as uh, a person who shares a a teaching, a wisdom, Mm. um, as a disciple of an enlightened master, I'd rather rather speak about how I was then Mm. as a person and how am I I now. So it's interesting you mentioned about Surinda and about her archetype of being a queen. what actually happened with Sarinda is she didn't achieve anything. <clears throat> All she did was she allowed herself to see herself as the nature of who she was. And then what happened was life decided to see her that way too. You see, essentially we, we operate from two different types of orientation. It is how I see me is how life allows me to see me or life sees me the way I see me. And essentially, these two orientations determine a person and their experience, um, their growth, and what, how they go about living their lives. Because one of the orientations, in Sarinda's case, all she did was she decided to see herself for herself, and she claimed it. And somehow claiming that, life decided to see her that way too. Although it does sound very abstract, it does sound very... Uh, in some sense, uh, spiritual. This is an essential fact of our lives. If I look back on my life, if I looked at the time when I was an aerospace engineer, it was what I was allowed. It was how I was allowed to see me, because based on the society I was growing up, they they set a lot of conditions. They set conditions in which one is allowed to see oneself beautiful, respectful, successful, and one of the conditions was to to have a job or to have a role that society placed an important view on. Mm-hmm. So I always make a joke, you know, there's the four cardinal sins in the Asian society. You either be a doctor, engineer, lawyer, or an accountant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somehow this, uh, if you make it to any four of this, now you've earned the right to see you as a respectful, uh, successful human being. Right. And even though I was young, Somehow, deep inside of me, I had the intelligence to know this can't be it. My sight over me cannot be determined by the conditions placed on me. And so I awakened to that through my need to seek something more that did not have to do with the roles I took on to convince society to see me in a particular way. And this began my search for something deeper or something more. I wouldn't even call it a spiritual search because I went and I searched through every mainstream 
uh, element at least available at that time that dealt with the subject of growth and transformation um, and eventually of course moving into this field of, of spirituality as they as they call it and all I realized was since a lot of these uh, a lot of what was out there was telling me about how I can in some way or other successfully meet or exceed the conditions placed by life or placed by the society on me. Mm. None of it really dealt with me for me. What is my side over me? And this was, this was what, over the span of uh, 20 years right now, since I've just turned 44, <laughs> or I like to say 24, 20 times, <laughs> over the 20 years, that seeking has been there. How do I come to the side of me free of my reflection? Mm. So when you say, I think that's a, a beautiful uh, both statement and also evokes a question. So for those who are not familiar with what you mean by reflection, mm. can you give context into uh, okay. reflected nature? Right. So the simple way of looking at a reflected nature is when one identifies oneself with the role one plays in society. Mm. Now, being an aerospace engineer was a role that I took on. That role did live out a quality that was unique to me. That was one of seeking the depth, seeking possibilities, which aerospace engineering seemed to have uh, reflected, or was a field at least that explored into these elements. Mm. <clears throat> now, a lot of people explore aerospace engineering. I mean, we're using that as an example here. And they explore it in the hope that that role or fulfilling that role will fulfill them. So very quickly I saw, uh, as much as people say, oh, you must love aviation, you must love aerospace. I usually answered them is, I love me. That's why I am indulging in aerospace or aviation. Mm. I was not one of those, as you call it, plane geeks or space geeks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so in a, in, a, in, a, in a strange, at that time, a strange sort of a way, I was, I was not trying to forget me through that role. And what happens essentially is people through their roles and through their seeking of a, of a goal or a, or a mission out there in life <clears throat> forget themselves in that process. Mm -hmm. They get lost in the reflection. Then the reflection becomes the most important thing. That's why the consciousness of society, the word consciousness is what we have been made conscious of. And what we have been made conscious of will inevitably be the most important thing for us. And Unfortunately, though, most often that importance is placed in the reflection, inevitably dismissing me mm. again. So if we talk even about the field of spirituality, it's nothing about who, who, it's nothing about an experience. It's about seeing what is this entity called me about <clears throat> and really looking for the sight of me just for me unreflected, free of those reflections, because the moment I go into the reflections and seek a sight of me, now I'm at the mercy of it. Now I will only see me as how the reflection allows me to see me. So I, lo I love it. And I've had the good fortune of spending the last week with you really delving deeply into this mm -hmm. work. But for someone who may be uh, watching or listening, mm -hmm. we're all familiar with the various sort of, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, masks we wear, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the ways in which we're conditioned by society. And oftentimes that's oriented around doing, right? So even my, even my uh, predisposition is to go to, you know, my good friend is now doing big things. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm in, you yeah. know, because yeah. I want to do, you know, I also identify with what I'm doing in the world. <clears throat> but I, but I realize there's a deeper aspect to who I'm being mm -hmm. beyond my doing. Mm -hmm. So I guess the question would be, if we recognize mm -hmm. that the nature or someone watching recognizes that the nature of what they're doing doesn't fulfill mm -hmm. their, for lack of a better term, essential self, mm -hmm. how does one come to the process of having their doing or the outward expression of, of who they are in the world mm -hmm. be a reflection of their true beingness, mm -hmm. their okay. true nature? It's a good question, Michael. But let's explore, from <clears throat> explore that question from the word doing. Mm -hmm. You see, whenever one undertakes a doing, if I'm, if I, let's say I'm going to make coffee, that's a doing. In that action of making coffee, I'm producing something. Mm. All doing, essentially, is to produce something. And most often, the doing that we undertake in the name of doing a job, uh, fulfilling a role, 
um, doing to um, in some way make something happen <clears throat> is in some way producing something that will be of value. And it will be of value that can be traded in society. Let's say someone says, oh, now I have to, I have to grow. So what is the doing that I can undertake here? Right? So or I want to see myself successful. Now I will have to go out there and do a business and do it in a way that people will see it or the business would be successful and I would be able to get a recognition. Essentially, that doing is to create some value in which that value can be reflected onto me as my value. So every doing inevitably exposes the doer. And now, when you speak about the fact of the being, the being is this doer. Has this doer seen his value for himself? Has this doer seen that it is the most important thing there is? <clears throat> because then the doing would be an expression of that worth or that importance one holds for oneself. So I could have gone and done, did, do, loads of aerospace engineering all my life, won the best awards for the best aerospace engineering, made the greatest discoveries. In that whole doing, how was this doer, how did this, what happened to this doer? Was it just a seeking of producing some value in which this doer could identify itself with? Which again comes from the reflection. Again comes from those who shall recognize me for it. Again comes from those who have successfully exploited that value that I did, that I offered. So whenever somebody questions now, the significance of being, right? <clears throat> I'm saying everything starts, stops and ends with me. Which means I am the greatest force known to me. Not necessarily even in reflection. One can be a slave and come to this understanding. In the world at least. One can be a servant in the world and yet live this state for themselves. Like a Viktor Frankl. Like a Viktor Frankl, exactly. He, he came to that state for himself and he saw the enormous power and that power was not over the reflection being powerless in the giving that recognition of power. That power was a being for itself. And what this power is here to live out becomes then the next evolution for that reflection. So essentially, life depends on us. It depends on us being able to recognize the power of our being. What this being is here to see and evolve, and in that evolution, in its participation with the world, what is the next evolution for the world takes place. The Hindus used to use this word yogam, and yogam is a beautiful uh, word to indicate that union of this entity called me, and what is alive as me, in participation with life. How am I here to happen to life? The effect of that is yogam which means the next evolution for the other, based on simply me being me and acknowledging and honoring that which is alive as me. For that, though, one must come to, be, to see the fallacy of seeing oneself through the reflection, of being at mercy, where the sight over me is at the mercy of what life allows me to see me. Most people are trapped through a relationship, through a job, through their societal conditions that surround them, they are defined and their sight over them is limited to that. This is the misery of man. He never sees his beauty, his essential worth, and what is the yogam that is here to live out. And everyone in some way or another seeks it, whether unconsciously or consciously, by going outward to the reflection and seeking the more, the more of success, the more of achievement, the more of love, the more of recognition. There is an essential nature of us that recognizes that evolution that we are participating with. All that is needed is for a reorientation of that sight. Every human being is living it, recognizes it. Just a reorientation is needed. It's as simple as that. It's from life happening to me to me happening to life. So if, I, if I'm not familiar with the work, mm. I mean, that sounds amazing. 
the question I think would be, well, how do I reorient? Mm. How do I reorient from life happening to me mm. to me happening to life? Okay, good question. The simplest way we can enter into this without getting into the, um, the study of it, right? Mm. Is when I sit back and I, I simply be silent and I ask this question to me. Mm. What is the next step of me? Most often we have asked this question, but we've always asked this question in regards to the next step of life. What is the next step in my life? Now, if I'm an aerospace engineer, maybe in future, my next step would be that I'll be a CEO of an airline or that I would own an airline. It may be I'm an aerospace engineer. The next step would be that I own my own company. Our next steps, the, one, the next steps we seek in life is most often in the reflection. And again, as we seek that in reflection, we are hoping at least in, in the doing to come to that next step outwardly in the reflection, I would be able to see me in my next step. However, if one sits with this question for oneself, what is the next step of me? One is, in a very subtle way, confessing, I am not done yet. This, this entity, this identity, this definition of Navin as he is, <clears throat> is still a process. Which means one embraces Every moment is a moment for me to transform and evolve. And the word transform is beautiful. It's not a motivational word. It means to take what is there and see what is the next within it. It's not change. It's not denying a state. This is why asking that question allows one to be right with the fate of where they are and how they are and what they are without making it wrong, without making it right without exaggerating it or under-exaggerating it, just being with it as it is. What is the next step of me? We've asked this question with regards to humanity. What is the next step of humanity? And as long as we seek that, that salvation of that, to that question in the reflection, nothing essentially will happen. No evolution will take place because then the reflection will, go, will be the ways in which, uh, which becomes the surrogate to how I shall see myself. I think that is the simplest way one can say, what is the next step of me? What is that possibility that exists as me? Not in a motivational way, not in a way that I can be more for the reflection. So I can see the more of me. Am I living, allowing a space for something more of me to be seen for myself? Mm. Or am I living as, in a way that has no space for it, which means this is a conclusion, this is it. Now I must do to make in some way or other my life happen. So you bring up, you used a word that I think it's important to draw a distinction around because at least uh, in the U.S. growing up here, you used the word fate, mm. right? So we're very uh, oriented towards self-determination, mm -hmm. again being uh, predisposition towards doing. Mm -hmm. But can you clarify kind of what you mean by fate in that process? Mm. Because it seems that if you're, if you're ultimately uh, working to discover your true nature, mm. is that something that's predetermined before your birth and mm. therefore you're stuck to the confines of your mm. fate? Mm. Or, or do you mean fate in a different way? In other words, like how does that process of becoming mm work in the context of a, of a notion of fate okay. for those oriented towards self-determination. Just so that uh, no one gets confused in my accent, the fate we are talking about is F-A-T-E. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> it's interesting you mentioned the word, uh, our inherent nature or nature, you mm. said, right? Fate is nature. Like if we look at a plant, like we, we see so many plants around us right now. When we look at that plant, we are looking at it for what it is just as it is. Even the word plant is an imposition on it. If we were to just to have to look at it without a knowledge about it, that's the fate of what we are looking at, which means what is essentially is there. Mm. And for, for most, the misunderstanding with regards to this, this word fate was conclusion. That's how it will always be. And because of that, most people have moved to not being with their fate, and wishing they had another fate or hoping for another fate. So their attention have not been in, in regards to how am I meeting this fate of mine? Mm. 
which means my life as it is right now. So you can see a very subtle, there's a, there's a, what do you call that, a hidden predisposition towards one's fate. And this hidden predisposition is rooted in, in some way feeling, I should not be in this fate, or another fate is what I deserve. So one is never really with what is. One is either with how it should be or how it could have been. Past or the future, which is essentially a mind imposition. If one could just say, like, there was a beautiful story, they say, somewhere in Japan. They used to, um, people who used to have a lot of problems dealing with their, their fate. And they used to go to this monastery over there. And the whole exercise was, the whole day, um, they would eat, they would do their the prayers, and then in the mornings they would go out to this, there was a Japanese garden, right? And they would ask everyone to go in front of a, uh, uh, there were many trees with flowers, go in front of a flower and sit there. And they would do that for almost five to six hours during the day for at least six months. And after six months they would leave the place. And many have reported to say everything changed, everything shifted with regards to them and their life. Things started getting in order. It's a beautiful uh, exercise in that. Because in them coming and sitting in front of a flower, initially the whole word flower, beautiful, Oh, nice, look, I wish I had this in my garden. All, all these thoughts used to come out. But after day in, day out, they started sitting with it. All they could do was to be with that fate of what was in front of them. There was no name to it. There was no judgment to it. Everything fell away. And somehow just being with that, they were allowed to be with the fate of who they were. Which means the nature of them, what was alive as them. And when they went back to life, Somehow or other, that sight of them accepting them and their nature and what is possible as them was able to meet their life as it is too. At least this is my speculation of what happened because it was a simple exercise. There was no magic element in that. I love that. There's something you said that, that really resonates with me, which is that notion of what is alive in you. Yeah. So how do people come to know... Mm -hmm what is alive in you, you know? I mean, there's, there's so many different, pe pe people are hungry to know that, right? Is it meditation? Is it going to this teacher? Is it, mm. so how does one come to know truly, I mean, mm. partly it's self-reflection, yeah. but what, what's your, your guidance or recommendation mm. in terms of people coming to know the essence mm. of what is alive in them mm. that is their uniqueness? Okay. There are many ways for, for a person to come to it. I mean, the whole study of meditation, the whole study of uh, one turning inwards was about coming to this, to see what is this happening as me. But essentially, though, I can, I, can, I can say there are two doors to it. The first door is to follow your suffering, to, to observe it. Because any sort of pain can only be felt when there is something there happening here and something happening there. In that reaction of these two elements is pain. <clears throat> so the pain can be, can be seen as a problem in which I need to eliminate or relieve, which is, a, which is another way of forgetting what is happening here. Or it can be a door to see what is happening here. Like let's say if someone goes and they walk past the street and they see a, a beggar on the road and he's homeless and he's cold, it's the, it's the you know, dead of winter, and there is a deep pain in which they can, if they were, they were, they could simply be allowed to be with, without passing a judgment that was good, that was bad, one should do something about why is this world this way. Just being with that, they would be able to see something alive as them that felt that pain. It may have been one that saw the, uh, the quality of justice, the quality of rightness. And that quality of rightness was what was happening there. One's life was supposed to hold this and live this out. So the elements of pain has been always looked at very wrongly. It has been looked at a problem in which one must relieve oneself from. And this is one way of them being wrong with the fate that is being there. Because it's a quick problem-solving mode. Again, it brings in the element of doing now. But if one follows one's pain, you will see that in some way, through this, these triggers of pain in life, life was provoking me to claim or come to realize something that is alive as me, that is responding to this, that is reacting to this. The other door is to follow your bliss. This is a beautiful door too. Many, though, will not be orientated for it 
because their life meaning has been derived out of pain and the seeking of a solution to the pain. But following one's bliss is the purest way. To see the bliss in life and see what is that about you that is celebrated in that. This is a beautiful meditation to follow one's bliss. Because I see that which is alive as me, that wants to bubble, that wants to rise, that wants to give, that wants to pour. Then life becomes that giving action. Life becomes a giving phenomenon. And this is when things like yoga, one becomes a blessing, one participates in the next evolution of mankind. For real. In my participation of my evolution, the world participates, a part of the world participates with, with its evolution. That's why it's interesting we sit here in a land that, uh, that an enlightened mystic called J. Krishnamurti once lived. And he said, a beautiful statement one, he said, you are the rest of mankind. It's a beautiful statement. He captured it. He said, as I am, the world is. If I choose to evolve and participate with my evolution, a part of the world evolves with it. Beautiful. It was about realizing the essence of relationship. That in some way, we are connected. Even to say the word connected is dismissing the fact that we are all one. However, without sounding too as abstract, maybe in realizing that me participating with the next step of me is humanity participating with its next step. I think one has to come, every person has to come to that realization sooner or later, if not. That I'm not just the separated identity who is here to just survive and sustain oneself. That I, life depends on me. My awakening, my enlightenment, my, my flowering, my, my blossom, as much as I depend on that, on that happening as me, life depends on it happening too. This is the beauty, this is the beauty of union, to see that. And in many ways, all human beings seek it. They seek it in relationship, they seek it in finding their life meaning. But the, the misorientation was to make it all about oneself. To see that, ah, what's the point of me transforming or participating with the next step of me? It's only me. And this was the dismissal of oneself. Dismissal of what was the most important thing there was. <clears throat> and because I dismissed me, I dismissed humanity of my flowering. Many could have been blessed by it. So essentially, as much as it's a selfish act action for one to pay attention to what is happening here, but there is a selflessness in it too. So, so, so much richness, I think, in what you just shared. And there's a couple different directions I'd want to go. But that notion of selfless and mm. selfish. Mm. So, if we t if we break down some some of what you shared, for example, you started by talking about pain, mm. and as I interpret it, seeing the opportunity in the obstacle, mm. um, which. Is, is easier said than done. You know, say someone listening who may be um, encountering depression uh, and focused on the, you know, if, if you have a deep love and there's a breakup or someone you love passes away, there it's it's easy to say. And, 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 and maybe that's not exactly where you're going for because I think what you're talking about is actually seeing some of the some of the challenges we face actually as nature's way of guiding us mm. towards our true essential mm. nature. Mm. Um I guess the question I would be is how does, if we are interdependent and yet also see ourselves as individual, how do we participate as, you know, as uh, flawed human beings mm -hmm. often encountering things that, that evoke pain, mm -hmm. um, but also experiencing things that obviously evoke bliss? Mm -hmm. How do we appropriately listen to the direction in which that's guiding us, right? So you, so you use the, and, and I'll use the analogy of, of the plant, right? So if, if our nature is, is, a, is let's say, a, an oak tree, you know, and, and it's an acorn, and, and it's a, our life is about blossoming to become that oak tree, um, how, do we, how do we give the most uh, fertilized soil? How do we create the, the blissful conditions okay. for, from which that can achieve its greatest mm. realization? Mm. It's a good question. I'll bring it down to one answer in which um, I'll share from... You see, I'm, I'm a disciple. I live my disciple. I would like to make that statement. And I, 
and I'm not a disciple to, um, as in a way of enslavement. It's a love affair that I'm participating with what is happening here, and that I've that I've found a master or an enlightened mystic who can hold hold that for me, hold that sight over me that I may never lose that in my reflection. Right, and he once shared with me a beautiful statement. He said, essentially, now when life hap- when you happen, life happens, or life happens only when you happen, which means that which is happening as me here has to happen first. This is essentially the selfish nature that one must claim for oneself. Only when this has happened, remember, this happening needs participation for it to mature, for it to participate in its evolution. And the beauty about having flaws is not just that one can wear one's humanness. It is also to indicate, I'm not done yet, I'm still a process. It's a beautiful, humbling realization to a human being to say, ah, great, now I can participate with my evolution. The quest for perfection and having no flaws is one's arrogance in, rega- in regards to one saying, I've made it, I'm done. And the very fact that we are still in life, if we are still taking that breath in as we live our lives, means we are not done. I look at flaws as, ah, I'm glad I still get a, to participate as a disciple of life a disciple to what is really important. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me humble to my fate. And many, many, many people have punished us or made our flaws wrong, which is in some way telling us that we have to pretend that we are done. This is the, as the Hindus used to call, use the word anava, the arrogance of the ego. And so this, if one sees that life happens only when I happen, then, oh my God, I am the most important thing. Because I know in my importance being acknowledged, claimed and lived, another's importance will be birthed too. Mm. Another's importance, another coming to find their importance will be blessed too. That's the beauty of yogam. That one will not see this life is just about survival and preservation. That they will see there's something more to it too. Mm. That there must be something more. It reminds me of a quote that I love, uh, which is by Howard Thurman, where he says, don't ask what the world needs, mm-hmm. ask what makes you come alive mm-hmm. and go do that because mm-hmm. what the world really needs is for people to come alive. Beautiful. So what, what you're saying essentially mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. it's in the aliveness, it's yes. in the fully, mm-hmm. uh, fully coming to one's mm-hmm. unique nature, yeah. flaws and all, yeah. that actually the world happens, like the, the commensurate rise, if you will, of that which is perceived to be outside also rises. Am I understanding correctly? Essentially is, something is always happening as me. Mm. Whether it is my pain or my bliss, whether it's my confusion or my clarity, whether it's my question or my seeking of solution, something is always happening here. Mm. The fundamental uh, inquiry for someone who is looking into this for real is to ask, how am I spending my life escaping what is happening here or rushing in to participate with what is happening here? Which means participating in every, every pain, every bliss, everything that is happening, every inquiry, every confusion, every clarity, every flaw, every beauty. I'm participating with this. This is what it means by I am the most important, which means I am never exiting that which is happening here. In the name of life, wanting to make life happen, many, many people have exited them. And this is the fundamental sin. Because nothing in the reflection will ever be able to fulfill you if you have forgotten what is happening as you. And then our addiction to the reflection and maintaining it and preserving it and holding on to it in the name of power, fame, um, richness, abundance, recognition... becomes a disease, an illness. It is almost like a drug addict and a drug pusher. One can't survive without the other. Mm. So for one to first acknowledge, right, something is always happening as here, happening as me here. Always. It's always happening. Am I orientated to never escape it? The esoteric teachings have says, all you have to come to know is you. When you've known you, you've known all. 
It's beautiful, that statement. It's not just about the insistence of knowing every facet of me. It's about knowing that I am happening at all times and not escaping that. Whether I, whether I come to clarity or confusion, I'm in participation with that. This was the essence of meditation. They created many statues, people sitting in a posture, turning inwards. The posture was not important. It was this understanding that was important. Even in my living process, I am, I am concerned with what is happening here. I'm paying attention to it. My sight is as much outwards, it's inwards too. This is when someone awakens to oneself and sees, oh my God, I am the most essential, the most important thing that could have happened to me. Describe a bit more what you mean when you say selfishness. No? Because it seems, I think, for our conventional understanding of selfishness, it, it, could, be, it could be confusing. No? Mm. Because in essence you're saying, I am the one that matters most, mm. and yet... In in most people's uh, realization, that's an ego orientation. Mm. One mm. and two, as I as I hear you, you're saying be fully present mm. to all those elements that are you and the experiences that come to you, whether they be painful, blissful, etc. As a listening mm. to unfold further the real mm. uh, and true essential nature mm. of you. Mm. However, most of us uh, orient ourselves towards. Avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure. I mean, that is the bi- <laughs> one would argue of that biological predisposition. Mm-hmm. And many of us in today's society pursue entertainment mm-hmm. for that pleasure, mm-hmm. which also could be argued as a form of numbing. You know, mm-hmm. in 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 in, mm-hmm. in not being present to the mm-hmm. to the pain. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say frankly, you know, there are times where I'm pain in pain where I want to pursue a numbing. You know, I want to watch a movie or yes. I want to, you know, uh, whatever whatever that may be, yes. have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. So. So can you clarify a little bit more what you mean by selfishness in such a way that people can understand mm-hmm. how to how to see themselves as that essential um, unfolding, mm-hmm. but also how does one be mm-hmm. with that as you as you describe it in today's society? You see, first we have to we have to look at what is the conventional understanding of selfishness. Mm-hmm. The conventional understanding of selfishness and the judgment placed on it as being bad was because people had lived making them matter in order to make them matter to themselves. They had to make another not matter. Mm. So this was the selfishness that was, that was judged as bad. That is not the selfishness we are talking about. We are talking about the inherent selfishness of oneself to oneself. And this can be very easily seen with one's biology. Our biology, our body is inherently selfish to itself. It's not concerned about another. The only time it's concerned about another is when it has this desire to mate. And that's the, that's the only time. Otherwise, it's inherently selfish. So, <clears throat> the psychology, though, has been in a way set by certain conditions imposed on it that in some way I have to look at this biology as not being selfish. One has to be selfless. However, just as if you are here to me, you have to be selfish to your desire to learn, to explore, the subject of what does it mean for me to live my next step of me, in order for you to engage with me rightly, right? In order for me to engage with my selfishness, to share the wisdoms of the masters and the ancient teachings in regards to this knowledge or that which I've lived for myself. So we are essentially two selfish beings here in meeting. Now, in that acknowledgement of what is happening here as me living the excitement, the thrill, the, the, the aliveness of my search, my quest, uh, or, or, or living my quest in, and you, uh, in the aliveness, in the, in the curiosity, in the, in the energized state of looking for what is the truth behind all this, something more can be born out of this, which many out there might be blessed with in regards to the question they are living. So it's very important that our we are all inherently selfish and to confess to that. Mm. Everyone is. Even if someone is being selfless out there, they are going to be selfless so they can feel something about themselves or participate with something that is happening within them. It may be love is happening within them, that there is an inexhaustible need to, to pour themselves and somehow moving out and participating with life and happening to life in order to express this, to exhaust this, 
One can then say, oh, what a selfless person. I say, no, what a selfish person. Hmm. That's why he was able to act so selflessly. He was so grounded in him. So this whole selfish and selfless was a very was a was a premature was a very superficial judgment passed on to each other, and it was another way of setting conditions, in order for somebody to support a notion of themselves. So now I I project myself as being selfless out there. Somebody will see me as selfless, so I would believe I'm selfless. Now that I believe I'm selfless, nothing's happening here. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yet so much is happening. Yeah. But it's interesting you brought out about how we use entertainment to escape what is happening here, right? Yes, we do. And but the question is not the fault of entertainment. The question is, how is it that I've been orientated to escape myself? Mm. That's the fundamental question. Because I watch movies too. I love Hollywood too. Mm. I like watching George Clooney. I like watching uh, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Penelope de Cruz <laughs> and, and movies produced by Flora. So, I love I love watching all of this. However, I'm not using it to escape me. Mm. I am there when I'm watching it. Like whenever I remember, I was telling a friend, I watched Braveheart like about seven times. I think I've mm-hmm. watched that movie. Right? I am participating in what is happening here and watching in that movie. <laughs> that warrior, <laughs> uncompromised, yeah. living his stand. Yeah. So. Entertainment should have been a celebration of what was happening as us, not an escape from what was happening as us. Mm. And I think that would be the new entertainment. Mm. Like the work you're doing, Michael, will bless many. But remember, essentially, it is selfish. You're participating with what you cannot escape as you, and that is your blessing for you. You will open to see what's the next step of you. In that, humanity gets to do so too. Mm. That is yoga. Mm. Beautiful. So, to that point of yoga, if you were to if you were to give the definition, right? Many people know yoga. Mm. What exactly does yoga mean? Mm. Defined. Yoga essentially means to be one with something, mm. to be in union with something, right? Yoga is like like there's a beautiful knowledge the um, Anvimal shared called the Atma Rahasya. The Atma Rahasya deals with coming to see how this entity and life are essentially one. Mm. That life being dependent on this that is happening here to participate with it. So life is needed. It is the casket in which the wine matures. And this, is bu- this, is, this union, this understanding, is the union that births the next evolution for man, the next evolution for the other, the next evolution for humanity. However, I need to be right by my fate, which means my life, which means being right with something is to be in union with it, mm. which means I understand that which is done to you is essentially I'm allowing that to be done to me. When you hurt someone, remember, as much as you are hurting them, you are also saying it's okay for me to be hurt that way too. You know, This is the science of that. Now, if I'm being right with my life, I'm essentially saying, I will be able to be right by me too. And this rightness is the union. Now life becomes my ally. If at all, life is me, mm. living itself out as what is alive as me. Sounds poetic, but that's essentially what yoga is. Mm. That it will be a blessing. How can it not? If any blessings we have experienced or any blessings that we are that we are enjoying and basking in in regards to the world right now, it was, a, it was the effect of someone living their yoga. Someone who decided to participate with, with what was alive as them, what was happening as them. And they spent their whole life as a testament to not escaping it. Mm. And so much humanity derived out of it. So much humanity could celebrate out of it. Mm. So remember, when we celebrate ourselves, right, we are celebrating that union. That rightness of us being with ourselves and being with our lives. That's why it's so beautiful to see a person who is absolutely right with where they are and doing what they are doing, doing what they can do. There's a beauty in it. You know? That's why you see sometimes ambitious people, people who are complaining how things should be and all that. There's an ugliness to it too. The people who have accepted that. Sometimes you go to the poorer countries, you'll see that. 
their fate is challenging. They are living meal to meal. But you see the happiness, the bliss on their face. That's actually the rightness of them with their fate. And they are blessed. They are blessed. They will be blessed so much. You seeing them, you are blessed. That's why we always say, look at how fortunate we are. Look at these people. Actually, we are saying, you know what? Look at how I have been wronged by my fate. Look at how right they are. Despite the conditions set onto them, they had the power to, be, to choose to be right with what was right in their life. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me, when I was in Haiti, I, I met a man named Wilfred uh, Masena, who was amazing, and he had lost his uh, leg in the earthquake. And I was with him the day, because uh, I went down to volunteer after the earthquake, and I was with him in the field hospital the day he got his prosthetic limb. Mm. Now, most people are, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a confrontation. Now you're, you realize, I will never again have my own limb, part of my body. But Wilfred was amazing. It was like he was given. It wasn't that he wasn't focused on the loss of it. He was focused on the gift of having to be able to walk again, right? Even if it was on a piece of plastic. And literally within half an hour, he's break dancing. He's doing handstands, and he actually wound up uh, starting a soccer league for all the people who have lost limbs for prosthesis. (laughs) So I went down, and literally he started a soccer league. He wound up traveling to the Mm. United States Mm. and training veterans Mm. who returned from the war Mm. in how to play soccer Mm. with uh, prosthesis. Mm. So he actually, talk about being right with your fate, Mm. he actually saw the opportunity in the loss, and not only that, but created a whole Mm. uh, different fate for people who who were confronted with the same, same challenges. So I, 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 I like what you're saying because it, it evokes in me, yeah. like, how do you see something, yeah. right? Or, whereas I would potentially see that as a challenge or yeah. a loss. Yeah. He saw it as an opportunity. Which and, is and the beauty about it is, this is what I'm speculating, I haven't met him, but the beauty about it is, in him being right with the fate of how he was, mm. right? The next step of him opened up. Mm. What was there? Now I've lost this, which means it could have been life's way of saying, you have been lost in the reflection of your capacity to do Mm. with your body. Now I've taken that away. Now come back to you and see what is happening as you here. Mm. And him participating with that was his next step of him, which became the the yogam for so many. Mm. So many now in his presence will not be lost to the reflection of their capacity to do through their body. Mm. They'll be able to see it's actually this, what is alive is here. Mm. Let's say they say, Nothing is impossible when you are there, at least in the spectrum of reality. When I am here, how can it be? Because I know I can grow, I can transform to meet it. Mm. So many people get defeated by life, by their reflection. Because in some way they have mildly accepted the notion, they are concluded, nothing more can happen here. And to live life from from that orientation that I am here to transform and evolve, means every element of life becomes, an, as what you say, an opportunity mm. for this to participate in its next evolution of itself. I love that. I, one question I would have is, you mentioned in the Atman when we, when we did the workshop, the story of like this 92-year-old man mm. uh, who biologically mm. was extraordinarily sharp. Mm. And at least as I heard the story, and maybe you can share it, what I loved about it was you said that the key to his sharpness mm was that he was living in perpetual curiosity. Mm. Like he was he was traveling not as he had defined mm. he was not defined mm. in his knowing. That's it. It was a it was always a forevermore a question. Mm. So I love that idea of living in curiosity. Obviously there's research now about gratitude actually being totally equated mm. to, to our, our happiness. What would you say uh, are tenants, you know, for me for me it's gratitude, for me it's curiosity, but what do you think are the tenets to someone living a, uh, some of the tenets to living a fulfilled life, mm. right? Um, because we're oriented often towards success as achievement. Mm. Uh, at least that's the conditioning. Mm. But, but everyone's actually looking for, whether you want to call it happiness, mm. for, for fulfillment, for that sense of being uh, satiated. And mm. what you're talking, what you're hinting at, I think, is people being right by their fate. Mm. It's even if someone like a Wilfred, they've, they've come to see the gift even in the challenges. Mm which I would also argue would be a tenant of fulfillment. But what do you see for someone really yearning for that sense of a more fulfilled life? Mm. What would be ways in which they could participate in that inquiry? Mm. And or are there tenants you feel that are, that are central to living a fulfilled life? 
some of the tenets maybe we've covered in this discussion, but one thing, one tenet that is very, very, uh, I think is fundamental with regards to this is when we speak about the subject of curiosities. Ultimately, my largest curiosity should be in regards to this entity called me. And I think when one lives that curiosity in regards to oneself, that insistence on knowing becomes, uh, I would say, uh, fluid. It is not fixed. What happened, what, what was beautiful about that 92-year-old man is he didn't insist on his knowing. Most often, whenever we speak to the older people who have lived life and all that, they always say, oh, son, I've lived life, I know how it is, and all. What they're actually declaring is the insistence on knowing, and they had a very small life, very small life, li limited by the conditions imposed onto them and the sight that was derived out of that with regards to them in which now they are imposing on the whole of life. Life is a huge phenomenon, so huge. Whenever one resides as in the curiosity of oneself now, I open the hugeness of me with regards to life. Otherwise, you will see life as how you are, not as how it is. <clears throat> so the insistence on knowing, in some way the intelligence must be there to say, I let go of that. If I lived life as an exploration of how much I do not know or what I am not, then maybe some point of time I may participate with the evol evolution of who I am for real. Mm. Most often people are living life trying to preserve who they are and what they know, not what they are not and what they don't know. Hmm. Preserving the construct of their perceived box yeah. that they've been conditioned. And that is essentially a predisposition of the brain to seek security. Mm. It's mi you know, millions of years of evolution of the brain. It's lazy. It wants security. It wants the quick fix. That security is because of the fear of the insecurity of death, that all of us will end one day. This biology ends. That which is alive is it, though? That's the question. That's the fundamental question. That's the fundamental. And it's been, it's been pursued by... A so many philosophers. What is the meaning of life? What happens to the soul? What happens to this upon that? The atheists say nothing. The biology just dies and becomes food for the worms. Mm. Even that is an insistence on knowing. Until they die, will they know? <laughs> <laughs> That's just one of my quirks for the atheists out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I'd like to honor you for, Nevin... Mm being is that it's your birthday <laughs> and uh and we had a quite a fun celebration last night in, involving dancing and, and all these things is uh i honor you for your your relentless inquiry at least you occur to me as someone uh who is living in the question and have committed yourself and your life to Offering that question in the most uh, profound, mm -hmm. profoundly possible way for for others. So, what I mean by that is to say, I think some people uh, have a prescription, an orientation towards this is my gift mm -hmm. and this is what I'm offering you. What I love about my experience of you, and what I honor you for, is that you you live as a stand for every other people's possibility. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think that's something that's uh, it's truly beautiful because I think most people, um, they have an agenda, you know? Uh, it occurs to me that your agenda is really to most fully exist as a, as a, as a servant in the world to evoke other, the possibility for others and in that finding yourself. I don't know if that's authentic uh, to you. I, if that's actually, smart. I mean, thank you for those words. It's <laughs> yeah. beautiful, but... What I'd like to say, since we talked about insistence of knowing, and you said that I'm living the question, I'm essentially living my disciplehood. Mm. And this is one of the most beautiful forms or what's one, what one can do or participate in, mm. is to live the disciple state. The disciple, for many people they have talked about, they looked at it as an enslavement, as a, as a way, oh, now I'm a disciple, I, there's a master, and now I submit. Actually, that's the false understanding. A disciple is one who is participating in that inquiry of what I am not and what I don't know. Mm. So as what you say, living the question. Mm. In, 
in some sense, living that question comes to the to unravel the truth as it comes. So it is always an exploration, a, a discovery. And what I what I'm going around doing is living my disciplehood and standing with the claim that the disciple is the only form in which one can live this purely. At least one of the forms. For me, at least, it was a nature. It was a truth. So to live my disciplehood and, and to carry the light of my master and the masters that have held this light of how important you are to you. What is this next evolution of you? So many, so many of them have walked this earth and blessed us with that, with that inquiry. And this is something I recognize in you too, Michael. There is the disciple in you. And what a blessing that would be in you simply living out that nature for you. That's why I say this meeting is sacred. Mm. Two disciples walking their path. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's been an honor. And I, I think that uh, it will not be the last of our conversations. I hope so too, Michael. Yes, brother. So <laughs> I, I honor you. I acknowledge you. Uh, you're, you're, you're traveling all the time to mm-hmm. offer these uh, workshops, these mm-hmm. truths mm-hmm. to people around the world. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to, in the, in the show notes, I'll link up to the different offerings mm-hmm. where you'll be. Um, but I very much hope that we can uh, have another conversation in the not-too-distant future. I very much hope so too, Michael. It, was a, it is a pleasure and a blessing to, be, to have met you. Feel I hold you in my heart. Likewise, brother. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> we no, got this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's our joke. That's Navin's move. How good is Navin? What a powerful episode on our essential nature think many of us uh, go through this life and are besieged by messages and images that suggest we should be a certain way or another. And I don't know about you, but I, I find it refreshing to ask myself first and foremost, but uh, be presented with others who remind me of who I am um, at my core, which is truly something that only we can know. And so that's why I found my conversation and my time with Navin so rewarding uh, to really explore uh, the inner archetypes uh, and the essence of who we are at our core and how those archetypes and how those uh, notions of who we are affect our life and the way we live. And so uh, there's actually a beautiful quote I'd like to share by a gentleman by the name of Howard Thurman. And it goes, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world really needs is for people to come alive. One of the things that I take away from this episode of my conversation with Navin is that it's incumbent upon us to do that which evokes the life within us. That which makes us come alive fully alive. So my challenge and my question to you is, are you living your essential nature? Please uh, respond in the comments below. I'd love any feedback uh, on your perspective from the episode. Please go ahead and leave us uh, a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback, uh, I'm always uh, welcome to hear it at michael at peakmind.org. Please share with your friends if you think they would find it valuable. Uh, And go ahead and subscribe on iTunes and on YouTube. And uh, check out our friends at Four Sigmatic. Again, foursigmatic.com backslash peak um, for the coffee with the adoptogenic mushrooms. And let us know if there's anything you'd love to hear uh, in terms of the Peak Mind podcast. It's, It's my vision to be of value to as many people on this planet as possible. So we're here to serve and to help you unlock the inner truth that enables you to serve uh, in whatever way makes you come fully alive. So with that, I thank you and I look forward to seeing you again uh, at Peak Mind. Go out there and live your inspired life.